Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. I'll start. My name is Rod. And I like to party. So you mean whiskey? What? You're saying it weird. Saying what weird? All of it. Where do you get off? Hey there, Church Planner. Welcome back to the Church Planner Podcast. This is Robert Frazier, your host. And today we have a, a special interview episode. And today I have with me uh, a... An amazing guy, a guy that I've really grown to like and respect, and we've gotten to hang out a lot. His name's John Ferguson. He is one of the founding pastors of Community Christian Church in Naperville, uh, Illinois. I want to make sure I get all, all those things right. He's a he's an author, and he is a thought leader and one of the apostolic leaders of the New Thing Network. And um, yeah, we, we, we love John. So welcome to the show, John. Bobby, it's fun to be on with you. Yeah. And uh, I know how you said you've grown to to love me over time. I know it, it it's a slow burn, but it eventually <laughs> got there. Well, uh. I, I, I feel like we, we got a little bit of time when you came to Exponential and Boise, but it's like we like you and I don't get quality time together. So I feel like we've got to like grow slowly in our, t- well, in our you know, relationship. We, we, need to, we need to find that quality time because I, I would love that. I would welcome that. Yeah, definitely. I like that. I'm going to be, I think I'm going to be in Chicago twice this spring for new Good. thing and for exponential. So awesome. Yeah. For um, coming up in uh, November, right? October and then in November. Two trips yeah, I think, to Chicago. Yeah. New things in October and then exponentials in November. So yeah. Yeah. We're going to be out there. I think we're actually going to be doing some uh, new breed training stuff at exponential. So I'll be okay. there in Naperville and yeah, awesome. I'm, I'm stoked to be together, man. Great. Yeah, it'd be a good time. I'm, I'm excited about uh, what's coming up here in the fall uh, with the, the Exponential Central and the Exponential West Coast, uh, two big conferences. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I know. Yeah, we, we could talk about Exponential all day and we, we will. <laughs> we'll, we'll have another conversation about that uh, and maybe maybe we'll promote that at the end. But you're four days back from your sabbatical. I am. And, you know, your sabbatical-ish summer. I just... Don't I look refreshed and energized? And you, have a, you have a glow to you. Like this is real nice. You know, it's kind of. <laughs> I got new glasses. <laughs> there you go. So if, if you're not watching on YouTube, like uh, John, John looks great. And if you are listening 
Um, he looks really good. So Bobby can't <laughs> see, but he he's he's thinking. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So John, you're back. What would you do this summer, and uh, what's what's been good? Yeah. Well, uh, it it has been. It, it was like a four week sabbatical slash vacation, and uh, try to do that in the summer. Didn't really get it done last year. I traveled so much last year that it felt like my sabbatical was kind of like spread out over a number of trips just turned out some cool God things. Let us go some to some neat places last year that we didn't anticipate at all. And so uh, it didn't really happen last year, but then this year try to get back to it, try to get a month in, but it was kind of a combo vacay uh, sabbatical. So first week we were uh, in Door County, which everybody knows where Door County is. <laughs> yeah. Door County. I uh, just learned about it. It yeah. is. It's like, it's like the upper peninsula of Wisconsin. Is that kind of what it is? It's, it's uh, just Northeast of green Bay. So there's, there's a little peninsula there, cool, quiet, just you know, state parks and places to bike, but beautiful uh, view of the lake there. And then incredible food. Oh my goodness. You just eat all this homemade food. No, no chain restaurants. It's kind of one of those places. It's kind of, people say sometimes Cape Cod of the Midwest or something. I don't know. But yeah, so we were there home for a week. Then we went to New York. My Both my kids live in, in the city, in New York City. Uh, Chicago wasn't good enough for them, I guess. Go figure. You know, we, we don't like to bring up the second city piece, but it's kind of it's kind of the deal. Now you're going to get me angsty now. Now, I will say this. Okay, this was a cool experience. <laughs> All right. We were in New York uh, second week of, no, we were there over July 4th. Cubs were in town. Got to go to see the Cubs play the Yankees in Yankee Stadium. That was pretty awesome. That's fun. And piece of trivia. This is crazy. Okay. Like two teams that you'd say have been around Major League Baseball for a long time, right? Chicago Cubs, New York Yankees. Friday night, we were there. The Cubs beat the Yankees. It was the first time the Cubs have ever beat the Yankees in New York. Ever. In 160 yeah. years or whatever. Right. I mean, I know it's National American League, so it's not like they play each other. Yeah, time. they play it's every cool. four years and like like they switch back and forth between, you know. So and yeah. over the last century, you know, there's a few play our world's just first. So I saw the first Cub win in New York in the history of the game. That's I mean, that's fun. And as a as a Red Sox fan, I'm thankful that you beat the Yankees and kept them in last place in the So we're, there's we're something for that. we can bond on, right? Like yeah. I mean, we can just like hate on the Yankees Cubs, together. Two best parks by far in the major leagues. Oh, Fenway. Yeah, Fenway's the best. And I haven't been to Wrigley, but I bet it's a close second. Dude. I, okay, well, first of all, you're wrong. <laughs> okay. I live two miles south of Wrigley. I walked to Wrigley, okay? Okay. So, okay, seriously, when you come into town, you you we got we just got to go to Wrigley. If you, are you a Red Sox fan and you've never been... Well, here's the thing. I always go in October and they're never playing, John. Uh, oh, sorry. That was, that was, that was, deep. That was I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, see, like, again, you, see, we used to have so much in common when we both sucked. <laughs> yeah. Now, now the Red Sox fans are insufferable and it's our problem. We, we know. <laughs> Actually, so Tim Galley, who normally co hosts with me, he's a big Yankees fan. And wow. I was really hoping he could be on this week so I could tease him about. Like the being in last place, but but the thing is, they're not terrible. They're three games over five hundred, and they're in the last place in the AL East. Like that's <laughs> yeah, an absurdity. 
as yeah. opposed to NL Central, where yeah. you're bearing for 500 and you're you're leading the the, the division. Yeah, yeah there's <laughs> a, there isn't going to be yeah anybody in the NL Central who's going to be playing in the wild card game this year. I think that's pretty, <laughs> right. pretty clear. <laughs> I mean, but when you think about it, like Tampa Bay and Baltimore, they both have to regress towards a mean that's going to be like probably closer to 500. They're both playing way out of their minds. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, okay. Enough, actually, a little more baseball. How did, so you and your brother, you're both baseball fans, but you're a Cubs fan and he's a White Sox fan. What happened there? Like, which one of you, like, stepped out of the family, like, tree and stepped into somebody else's family? What's going on there? That's just a beautiful question. I'm so glad you asked. Okay. <laughs> All right. So you might not know, we were actually born in Missouri. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. So when I was two, Dave was four and a half. We moved to Chicagoland suburbs. My dad's church planter started a church in the South suburbs. They came as Cardinal fans. Yeah. So um, my were dad, you a Cardinal fan then growing up? I was two and I was two. So I, I yeah. think I can legitimately claim I had not, I did not have an allegiance at that point. Okay. My dad shifted to, to the Cubs. I, became a Cub fan because I was a Chicago one. I mean, like two years old, like I grew up with the Cubs on TV when they were only playing day games. So I could watch them all the time as a little kid. Right. So it's a beautiful thing. But, but you're, you were living in the South side though, which is White Sox. Territory, South, right? South suburbs, but okay. You know, maybe yeah. so, but the, the whole WG and TV thing back then was big yeah, yeah. and the games being on during the day, I could watch, you know, the Cubs games all the time. And so I became a Cub fan but Dave held on to this Cardinal thing. Oh, I don't want All right. And then, you know, so then the, the Sox got good in 2005 and all of a sudden Dave decides he's going to be a white Sox fan. Oh, so really? Dave is a Johnny like come lately. I don't like to say bad things about my oh. brother, but he's a oh. bit of a bandwagon jumper. Okay. Well, I have John, I have Dave on the phone. Actually, we're going to bring him in and <laughs> Please do. Please do. he'll deny it. <laughs> see, it's, it's that and the fact that he recognized that he didn't want to raise his kids in Chicago as a Cardinal fan. Uh-huh. He, and, he and had to make a decision. Yeah, yeah. As an adult being a Cardinal fan, you couldn't, he couldn't, he couldn't, you know, really even uh stomach the idea of going from being a Cardinal fan to a Cub fan because such a huge rivalry. Well, and and the the Cardinals were significantly better for so much longer. It's like untenable in Chicago. It's like it's like being a Yankees fan in Boston and there's a lot of them and they're just annoying people. Like people just don't like those people because they're bought because they're Yankees fans living in Boston. Yeah. No, no, I agree with you. I, yeah, I, I weirdly, I weirdly respect Cardinal fans because I feel like they like really love baseball. Yeah, no, no, they are baseball people. They, yeah, they, they are care great. about the game. It's like, it's not just a, when they're good, you know, it's not like the Royals where, they win, they win the World Series and no one cared the next year because they were terrible. And it's, you know, it's so sad. Cardinal fans always care. Yeah. And they were just in town. We beat them three out of four. So look at that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Just one more baseball thing. See, you got me on. <laughs> we, we always devolve into sports and baseball around here. So that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> See, the problem with the Cubs right now, I'll just give you one little piece of commentary, is they're creeping ever so close to 500 right now. And I'm a afraid yeah. it's, it's a problem because the trading deadline is coming, you know, yeah. and they're, I'm, I'm just afraid they're going to be just good enough where they're going to, uh, we, we got to hold on to these guys. We got to hold on to Stroman. We got to hold on to Bellinger. 
And then we're going to like drop off the table and suck the rest of the year. And we'll lose our chance to actually be something in a couple of years from now. <laughs> See, and that's the funny thing about baseball is that you can't trade draft picks, which uh, did you see Colin Coward was like basically saying, here's what they should do with Otani. And then he like suggested trading all these draft picks and all these baseball people were like, you actually can't trade draft picks. I'm sorry. (laughs) Casual baseball people, you know how that goes, but you, you can't trade draft picks. So you have to trade prospects or you have to trade existing players. And when you get in a spot where you're selling or rebuild, you've got to decide what part of the rebuild do you want to start at? Do you want to start at your farm system and wait four years do you want to start with young players and pay a premium for them with existing guys? You know, like it's really the win now, win later. It is such a hard decision for most franchises that they just sit, they sit in the middle because they'd rather do that and keep their ticket sales in, in place. Right. Yeah. Yep. And, yep. and you don't have that problem at, Wrig- at Wrigley because it's a baseball town and it's just, it's a nice yep. thing to do on a weekend afternoon and everybody's always going to go games. Same yeah, it's, it's kind of good news, bad news, really. It's like, no matter what, we're going to have fans because it's such a great place to go watch a game and hang out. So, yeah. All right. Well, we, we've talked enough. I, my problem is I could talk baseball. I literally have a sign right here that has Red Sox and it has a, a an arrow that's pointing directly in the direction of Fenway. <laughs> so, all-time favorite Red Sox player. Oh, um, gosh. That is a really hard question. There's like 15. Ustramski. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. Like in Boise, we Bill Buckner lived here for years. There you go. Which is like a Sox, funny yeah. thing. And like, <laughs> you know, obviously like the saddest moment in all of Red Sox history was that 86 World Series. But like he's a great guy. And so I, I kind of like I like Bill Buckner as a oh, as yeah, I like him too. You know, he's a, he's a good dude. Um, like when it comes to modern players, I think, I mean, I love Ortiz. I was there the game after the um, marathon bombing when David Ortiz had his like famous moment on mm-hmm. Fox sports and or Fox TV. And I, I love David Ortiz. Um, Pedro is probably my favorite pitcher. I don't know. How, how do you like, who's your favorite cub? I guess. Oh, geez. Uh, well, I mean, so this is going to age me, dude. <laughs> My first game at Wrigley, I was five years old and Ernie Banks was playing. Okay. That's, so, that's a long time ago. Yeah. That's a long time ago. Is that, is that in but, the seventies? Yeah, fairly. Yeah. Like 1970. I was just, just doing the math in my head about how old you were for a second. But he would be one for sure. You know, just have to. I mean, the guy's legendary and incredible. And, uh, you know, Ryan Sandberg would be uh, top mm-hmm. of the list. Um, Andre Dawson mm-hmm. top would be top of the list. There's yeah, some pretty pretty good players there. Yeah. Plenty yeah of no, that, that's fun. I, I haven't I haven't done that, that, uh, um, that thought, that yeah. thought game for a while okay well right. let's let's jump into oh, this yeah. week's oh, topic yeah. well, we're gonna talk to church play if you want everyone talk baseball you can find john on you know instagram or are you on threads yet john Have i am joined? yeah had, had to do it yep what's what's your handle on threads john ferguson one no h and john just john ferguson one okay at john ferguson one j-o-n 
and uh, you can you can add him all about your favorite or least favorite Cubs players, and he will he Please will do. engage with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're we're going to talk today first about multiplication, and then secondarily we're going to talk about like multiplying our lives, not just our churches. So church players in general, they're doing some level of multiplication, whether it's um, they have left their existing church, you know, they're a youth pastor who has gotten too big for their britches or a, um, you know, a passionate young leader who's saying, I I just got to go plant and something wells up inside of them. They got to go. So there's multiplication kind of built into they're leaving one place, starting a new thing. It's multiplying, multiplying, whether it's a church split or not, it's still multiplication. <laughs> however, however you want it. to count it. <laughs> yeah. As, as church planning leaders, we always count those. Uh, actually, there's there's a church here in Boise. We call them the most prolific church planning church because they've had like seven splits. And we just count this all as church plants. <laughs> the question is, do they laugh at themselves about it? Oh, no, we don't say it to them. Ever. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about them behind their back. <laughs> well, to be clear, they don't show up because they're so dysfunctional. They never show up, David. Oh, no. Uh, anyways, <laughs> That's um, we're not going to drop the name. We're just going to let that sit. Um, anyways, uh, so so we're talking about multiplication and church planting. It starts with multiplication. But what happens with a lot of church planters is that they get tunnel vision as soon as they start something. And they go, now that I'm doing my thing, it's all about my thing. And there's this like, I'm going to build something great here and I'm going to raise all this money. I'm going to gather all these people and it's going to be the greatest thing ever. And what happens is their brain just breaks all of a sudden. Like it goes from this kingdom mindset when they're starting out and they don't have anything and there's nothing to lose to now I've built something and there's something to lose. What we want to help you guys do is get a kingdom vision for multiplication that starts from the beginning. And so I want John to share, let's just start out with your story. Like how did God grow in you this vision and passion for multiplication? You wrote the book Exponential with Dave. Was that like 10 years ago? I'm trying to, to, I'm trying to think of the date. Uh, gosh, that's a good question. Uh, you know what? I think, I think it was 2010. So. Okay. So. 13 years ago, wrote the book Exponential. And it was, it's all about this seeing the kingdom as this multiplying movement rather than the kingdom of God as this institution. And how how do we create that multiplication? So let's start with your journey of church planting and then kind of step into the church planting and then the personal multiplication. So tell us about your church planting journey and how God raised this kingdom vision for you. Yeah, good. Um, well, you know, we started, with, we were just a handful of friends, uh, Bobby, and I think uh, on a personal level, you know, I had a great experience growing up in the church. My dad was a church planter. I mean, I was one of those kids that was in church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday, the whole nine yards. Uh, but I I don't think I ever complained about it because it was genuinely a, it's an incredibly healthy environment. I mean, church was fun. <laughs> I made yeah. friends. And still even look back on that incredible community of faith uh, as one of the most unique, probably church communities that I've ever observed. There was just something God did there that was really, really amazing. There's people, you know, from that church that still get together decades, decades later for reunions and crazy stuff, even though the church barely, barely even exists. Um, but, uh, so that was kind of where it came from a great, great, great. My dad was a complete evangelist, you know. Uh, there were people that were tur- turning their lives over to Jesus pretty much every week and baptized. So I saw life change. My folks lived what they said they believed. I mean, they were authentic about their faith and invited people into our home. They were, you know, serving people in under resource communities. They they just, I mean, I 
I have no excuse. That's the only problem with having parents that good, <laughs> you know? Um, so I think that impacted Dave too. And so it kind of came to like, well, if we could do anything, what would we do? Um, and uh, just felt a real calling to, to start a church. And we were probably at that point arrogant enough to think, well, we can also not only do this, but we could do it better than what we're seeing it being done, which may not be that unusual among church planters, right? <laughs> well, I, well, I think you have to have some, like you have to have something in you that says, I need to create something new. And yeah. it it's going to be different than what came before, or it's just kind of a rinse and repeat sort of situation. You don't have that impetus. I think there's something about that. And so, you know, I was 23, Dave was 25. Uh, we had three other friends who were part of that original team, Scott, Darren, Georgia. Oldest was like 26 or seven. Youngest was 21. And, wow. you know, I that's know. a young, that's a young church planning team. That's isn't it crazy to yeah. think about that? And you know, I mean, that's a lesson for me right now because I think it's easy for us to, you know, look at a 25 year old and I and go, no, there's no way they're not ready. Yeah. I I mean, really? You have to be dumb enough to think that you are ready. And that requires <laughs> youth, right? There, yeah. I mean, because it's funny that you say that because there were times early on, you know, like a couple of years into the life of the church or even four or five years, you know, and I was at the ripe old age of 28 after five years and P and the church was growing, not crazy growth, but we were probably, I don't know, four or 500, 600, maybe at that point. And some people would say, Hey, did you ever think like it would be this, like, like grow to this size by this point? And I would honestly say, <laughs> I hate that question because no, I thought it would be way more than this. <laughs> but, no, I was I was way more delusional. Exactly. It's because I was like crazy. I had no idea how hard it was gonna be. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Which is part of the, the advantage of youth, right? I mean, you just mm -hmm. don't. And uh, and so, you know, you talk about risk. You're I think you're much more free and willing to, to take those kind of risks. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was the five of us, you know, we started small groups before we did anything. And we had a threefold vision from the beginning. We wanted to be an impact church, which really meant we wanted to reach people who were far from God. Uh, that was kind of in us. I mean, that, that's kind of what makes the heart beat fast. And we also want to be the kind of church that if it suddenly disappeared, like people in the community would miss it. And not just those that show up on Sundays from time to time. I mean, like, you know, it'd be like, wow, that, that church was really helping this community be a better mm -hmm. place. Mm -hmm. So that was phase one. We wanted to first be an impact church. Secondly, be a reproducing or multiplying church. And, you know, we, we grew up as church planting kids. We wanted to plant a church. We always thought that we would plant more churches, even from the very beginning. That was a, that was a part of the DNA. Uh, and we did plant churches, you know, multi-site came along and we added locations as well, but that was the second phase. And then the third phase, we said we would love to be a catalyst for a movement and, I don't even know if we really knew what that meant, but I'm still not sure we fully know what it means. But that threefold vision was really genuinely there from day one before we ever started it. And in a lot of ways, we're still just kind of trying to live out that vision, um, you know, 34 plus years uh, later. So, that, I mean, that was the beginning. Five of us start small groups, threefold vision uh, before we ever even uh, had a first service. And, and what really, you know, you talk about multiplication and I don't know if this is where you want to go with this, but uh, something in us also knew and we were influenced by um, early on really by like Carl George was a guy that was at the Fuller Church Growth Institute and wrote Prepare Church for the Future, The Coming Church Revolution, some books that were really good, highly influential. 
And so every one of us, when we were leading a small group, we said, okay, now these, these groups need to be outreach focused and they need to multiply. So there's two ways we're going to bring more people into these groups. It's one, by including people outside of you know, Christ, we're going to make these groups, groups for Christ followers and non-believers. That's going to be one way. And the second way is through multiplication. And so every one of us has to have an apprentice. And so from the beginning, you know, it was like all of us had apprentices. Now, the only problem was we, we didn't have any people for those groups. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. At the beginning you have more leaders than you do people. And you're like, what do I do? Yeah. So basically we just like all went to each other's groups and we were all in about like three or four groups and we show up and, you know, oh, wow, great icebreaker. Never heard that one before. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. I've never thought about two truths and a lie. Let me. <laughs> exactly. What animal would you say? Bobby? <laughs> yeah. Well, so it sounds like from the very beginning, the DNA was there for multiplication. What were the early roadblocks and where were, where did the insights come around for like, because every system you start with saying, well, we're going to multiply and we're going to multiply leaders. And then you realize how hard it is to multiply leaders and how hard it is to identify leaders. Like where were those roadblocks? And then where was the insight that kind of helped you move through them? Yeah, no, great question. I, I think um, a couple things come to mind when I think about roadblocks. Uh, one was, you know, like I said, we needed more people. And so, um, you know, in some respects, there might have been people early on that uh, could have pioneered new groups, but we probably kept them as apprentices or kept them in those existing groups just because we didn't have a critical mass. Instead of really sending them out and saying, oh, no, if you're a leader, then you're going to you're going to attract people. You're going to be able to find new people to be a part of your new group. So, well, that's, that's a really important thing, John, like what mm -hmm. you're saying is. In, in a lot of churches, we say we're going to do evangelism together and we're going to do discipleship separate. And so we're going to gather everybody together and then we're going to separate them out. And you, you made this kind of shift where you said, instead of, instead of expecting you to be the gatherers because you're the evangelists and the apostles, you're going to say, you're going to go do this apostolic work of starting something new and living on mission. Is that, is that the shift? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because I think maybe this is another way to think about it. We, we often said, and I don't know if this was more like in, in retrospect, looking back, or it was actually in the moment, but, um, you know, leadership um, or yeah, multiplication isn't about um, size of the group. It's about leader readiness. Does that make sense? And so I think a lot of times we feel like, you know, you're not going to multiply until the group gets to a certain size and then you'll multiply. You don't want to say the word split because nobody likes that word, but instead I think, you know, it, it really is, okay, when is that leader, that apprentice leader ready to be sent, you know, to go start a new group? Mm. Well, now, some people from that existing group might be a part of the future group. They might not, but he needs to be, or he or she hopefully has that, you know, that apostolic gift too, that they can actually go out and identify people and bring people into that new group. So what do, so what we always talk about the fivefold gifts, you know, you guys do church plan podcast does but the fivefold gifts when you've got a couple of leaders that you've been apprenticing and they're ready but they are much more on the shepherd pastor side how do you help them up their apostolic quotient their evangelistic quotient to go gather and to start and like what's that training and apprenticeship look like for your small group leaders at the beginning and then how has that shifted no it's a great great question and we have some like upfront sort of like almost like classroom or zoom style sessions of training that we'll do like explore small group leadership as more of like a centralized opportunity for group leaders to this day to get trained and equipped. 
best thing really is the apprenticeship. And that's that one-on-one life on life. I do, you watch, we talk. I do, you help, we talk. You do, I help, we talk. You do, I watch, we talk. And then you do, someone else watches. And you just kind of do that over and over again. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, first I would say, um, like if I had an apprentice, and I, I feel like I may have that situation right now. I'm leading a, a group uh, on Wednesday nights. We're taking a little bit of a break for the summer for the most part, but um, great apprentice. The guy's got so much uh knowledge of scripture, just a really sharp guy, uh, relatively new Christ follower. It's cool. He was an atheist like three years ago and wow. now he's going to seminary on via Zoom <laughs> or yeah, you know, online. So yeah, yeah. it's a cool, cool story. But he, um, I think he's more of a shepherd, shepherd mm-hmm. teacher, probably, uh, maybe reverse. And so I think the best way maybe to set him up for success would be to say, hey, Frank, you know what? Uh, well, we are, you're my apprentice. I think the best way for us to multiply is for you to stay with the existing group mm. and then I'll go out. I, you know, I'm more of an apostle teacher, probably my two lead. I'll go out and I'll start the the new group. Cause I, I, and being, you know, one of the staff people, I have more access to new people and probably have an easier time attracting new people than he would anyway. But I think that's one way you can handle that. If you've got somebody mm. from the shepherd side and then just encourage that person maybe to, I don't know that we've done a good job of this, but now that you're asking, you know, it would be smart if I said, told Frank, when you're looking for an apprentice, you know, look for someone who compliments your gifting. And you might look for somebody who's a little bit more of an apostolic sort of evangelistic focus who would be able to attract those new people. More of a gatherer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm thinking about this for myself, even, you know, we've got a micro church model um, is the way that we talk about what we are and those micro churches sorry, micro church. I've been trying not to pluralize the word church, like as a, mm-hmm. as a theological statement, because there is one church, you know, I'm, I'm trying, it's hard. Uh, but our, our micro church that happened throughout the city, uh, my wife and I, we want to have like a stable community that we are focused in and that we live in because we have four little kids and they need, mm-hmm. they need that shared life. Yeah, but right at the on. same time, like I want to start a new group every six months and connect new people and, reach neighbors. And like, I'm, I'm always kind of looking out next, but there's this consolidation my family needs, which is always like a piece of it that I'm going, okay, how do I, how do I care for my kids and my family and have that village around us? And at the same time, live out this missional calling that we're doing. I don't know if there's an answer to it. No, I mean, I think, I mean, I don't want to prescribe an answer, but I I think that might be part of it is, well, let me just give you an example. When we first, my wife and I first got married, we were a part of a a couples group, uh, married young married couples group. One of the best things that ever happened to us, you know, when you're newly married yeah. after the honeymoon, you're trying to figure things out. You're like, oh, wow, this is work. <laughs> it's great, but it's also work. And then you get in a room with other couples and your wife can go, wow, you're not near as bad as that guy. <laughs> They're much more thankful when they see how bad their friend's husbands are. It's great. Right. So the <laughs> The key there though is you really need to be in a group with some knuckleheads. <laughs> yeah. You really you you particularly pick the the idiots of your friends and be like, look, I could be worse. <laughs> okay, I digress. The truth is that we all need other couples, I think, to support and encourage us during that season. And it's a great, great season. Well, we were a part of that group for I I I would say maybe five or six years, the same one, essentially, because we needed that experience with the same core. I had an apprentice, but we kept bringing in an, another, we like he and I would apprentice somebody else like together as a team and then send that person out. 
But he and I stayed together with the core of that group for a number of years because we kind of felt like at that point in our life, we needed what you're talking about, sort of that consistent stability. But we weren't going to stop making disciples, you know, yeah. reaching out and multiplying groups. So we were able to really accomplish both, I think. And it kind of goes back to the whole idea that it's not about group size. It's about leader readiness. And if you've got a leader that's ready, that person can be sent. Yeah. Well, and in, in the summer, it's fine. You know, we live in Northern climates like you and we have 60 people at our micro church and it's just, yeah, we can go create kids can be in the yard and we can be inside or whatever, but yeah. then winter hits and we're like, okay, we've got to multiply because <laughs> no one's house can handle all of the tiny kids running around and going. Nuts. Oh man. Yeah. I'm not quite, I'm not, not quite at that stage anymore, but I get what you're saying. Yeah. yeah it's, it's I mean, I am in the city and places are small. So it's, yeah, it, it's different. yeah. I mean, we had a, we had a group of 20 somethings that were here and we, you know, it started growing. We probably had like over 20 that were probably typically a part of that group. And so we had to eventually uh, multiply that one out too, just because yeah, places yeah. a little bit too, a little bit too small. Yeah. It really, like there is, it's really about living room size is going to determine group size across the board, wherever you live, that's going to be the, so you need a rich friend with a big house in your neighborhood. That's, that's what we're, that's what we're going for. <laughs> the, it's it's a new book, the real secrets, the real oh, secrets of church planning. Rich friend, a big house. <laughs> yeah. And an open floor plan. It has to be not just a big house. Open Better yet, floor. a tithing rich friend. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all yeah, this is all starting to make sense. Actually, at the very beginning of our church plant, it was all of our friends. We were like 33, 34, and we all had like three or four little kids. And we're looking around going, we need some wealthy empty nesters who don't have grandkids yet. <laughs> That was, that was like, our okay, so see, you guys were like in, you know, 33, 34 <laughs> starting out. So like in our church plant, you guys would have been the older people with yeah. all the and wealth <laughs> <laughs> versus the 24 year old who just got his first job and is making, I know. Yeah. You know, I still, to this day, I, I always feel like I can believe people came for the first time to our church. <laughs> I just can't believe they came back. It's like, okay, we've seen junior church. Now where's the, where are the adults? Where are the adults? And why would I stay and listen to this 24 year old talk about God? <laughs> I mean, Dave is a really good communicator, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm sure he's better now than when he was 24 too. <laughs> oh man. Let's get some, yeah. let's get some uh, cassette tapes of that. <laughs> yeah. Did you guys have a tape ministry at the beginning? Oh yeah. Heck yeah. Cassette tape ministry. You bet. Did you have somebody who'd show up and use your mobile setup to do tape recording? And oh, yes. Man. Oh, you know what we actually also did? We had the uh, for the dissolve unit. No, <laughs> that is where you'd like set up two uh, of those like slide projectors next to each other. Oh <laughs> each yeah. Have you ever seen that or heard people talk about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, and that's what you use like for your the songs on the screen, and then you had this like this little box that somehow like shifted them back and forth, so you wouldn't have this like real abrupt. Uh huh. You know? Uh huh. That that was high tech, man. I was always in like little Baptist churches. I'd go to you go to the big church down the road, and you'd be like, oh my gosh, how did they do that? It's magic. Instead <laughs> of had a red projector. Yeah, we had overhead projectors and I had to, you know, like as the pastor's son, you know, I'm up there like doing the moving, yeah, moving the words. <laughs> Don't smudge it. I just printed that one. <laughs> right. oh, I used a Sharpie. Oh, it's permanent. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, so I'll, yeah, we could go forever, but let's, let's focus in. 
I, I love that multiplication was kind of a part of your vision for the beginning. And that's what we, we want every church planner to ask what's next, because if you're thinking about starting a movement and you're thinking about multiplying your church, you're going to do the right things from the beginning. If it's about you creating a, an organization that's going to give you a job and give you people to listen to your sermons, um, honestly, you're going to make terrible decisions because it's going to be about you and it's going to be about feeding the machine of the church rather than seeing kingdom movement and multiplication. And so one one book I definitely recommend is Exponential by John Dave Ferguson, where they lay out that leadership square, the I do, you watch, we talk, you do, I watch, we talk about all that stuff that's laid out there, their leadership pathway. Is that what you guys call it? Leadership pathway? Yep. Yeah. So so make sure to dive into that because if if you're going to get really like five steps down the road and realize that you need leaders around you. And then you're going to realize that the leaders aren't around you because you're not pouring into them and you're not pouring into them because you don't have a plan for them to multiply. If they think that the the ceiling is being a lackey for you or being, you know, someone who's going to take care of some function of the church rather than being seen as somebody you're going to pour into and develop as a church planner, they're not going to stick around. You're not going to get great leaders unless you have expectation for them and invitation for them of what they're going to do. So you got to be thinking about that. Now let's, let's kind of back up because we, when we're thinking about multiplying church plants, we start with organization and we think, okay, we need to find a five tool all-star who can preach and start a new church and raise money and all those things. But those people aren't, they don't come out of nowhere. They come out of somewhere. And when you peel back the layer, the next step is, do we have, leaders that we're developing a bench that we can draw upon for church planners. And a lot of times that's pretty bare at a lot of churches. And then you go below that and you go, actually, the reason we don't have leaders is because we're not teaching people to be disciples of Jesus. We're not good at making disciples. And then sometimes you go, okay, we have a few people in discipleship, but we're not doing good making disciples because we're not actually sharing our lives and teaching the way of Jesus and living the way of Jesus and seeing the gospel go forth. Because all four of those layers all start with, I got to share the gospel, help somebody discover the power of the Holy Spirit in their life, and then start this discipleship journey and disciple making journey and leadership journey of following Jesus. So I want to, I want to, we start with church planning, but I want to go all the way back with John. And he has also written a book called Bless, which is about these rhythms of missional living that help the kingdom of God come to life around you and help you share your faith. And so in the last 10 minutes, I just want to talk about that, John, walk us through bless walk us. And it's, you know, I, I think that I always, my, my head always goes to bells because I read surprise, surprise. What, what's John, uh, Michael Frost book? Um, oh, what is oh, I can't remember the title either right now. Surprised by uh, surprise the world. That's it. Surprise the world by Michael Frost. He's got bells and you guys got bless. And I, I like bless better, but my brain actually freaks out with the letter. So let's start with bless and let's talk about what does it look like to live missionally and multiply your life? So tell me the story of that, of that book and tell me the story of like how that's played out at community. Yeah, man, for sure. You know, I, I, um, I'll try to be as, you know, fairly concise in this because it's, it's a fairly long story. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think like a lot of people, um, you know, my brother Dave and I, we, we became frustrated with our attempts to reach our friends and neighbors with the love of Jesus. And I think too often it felt kind of prepackaged or forced or, um, you know, like we were trying to get them to do something they didn't want to do. And, you know, the last thing anybody wants to do is inadvertently turn somebody off in your attempts to help them, 
you know, know what it means to have a relationship with Christ. You tried the Kennedy questions and evangelism explosion. And it just didn't oh, get you. There. <laughs> you're really, you're really baiting me for a whole nother tangent. <laughs> you think the baseball conversation was long? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. We did that door to door, the whole nine yards. Um, oh, yeah. And crazy thing is like thousands of people found their way back to God through that stuff, you know? And so, you know, I'm certainly not mocking it. I'm just, I just don't think it's probably the best now. And, uh, uh, you know, in our mission statement is helping people find their way back to God. And, you know, our people could recite it. They know it inside and out. We've got it all over our website. You'll walk in the doors of the, you know, auditoriums at our locations. It's, it's right there. Uh, you know, Ed Stetzer visited community one time and we had lunch afterwards and he said, man, 13 times, 13 times, like 13 times. What? I heard somebody say, helping people find their way back to God 13 times from the moment I got to the parking lot to the time we left the, uh, the church. So it's like people knew it. They knew the mission. Um, but they, what we discovered was like, even us is like, there wasn't like a real simple, memorable, repeatable way to actually live it out. The how and, question. Yeah. yeah I mean, all right. And, um, and I think, you know, in some ways, if God's kind of given us sort of like a, maybe a, a unique gift, it's creating like simple systems for people to like put into play. And I think bless is, is kind of a simple system, but it also turns out like it's, I mean, the theme of blessed is throughout scripture. You know, you go to yeah. um, Genesis 12, God said to Abram, I will bless you and I will make you a great nation and you will bless all people everywhere. Uh, you know, Jesus went around blessing people all the time. You know, you look at the Sermon on the Mount, it tells us what does it look like to live the blessed life? You know, um, at one point people were bringing children to Jesus and he laid hands on them, picked them up and blessed them. So there really wasn't like a moment in his life, I don't think a blink of an eye or a breath of air that didn't, you know, reflect his desire and passion to bless people. And so, you know, thinking through all that, we then began to look at his life and we found these five ways that he went about blessing people wherever he went. And, you know, if you want to dig deeper, get the book. Um, It's just titled Bless, Five Everyday Ways to Love Your Neighbors and Change the World. But it starts with this. It's begin with prayer. And you know, Jesus, before he d- did anything, you know, he went out to a mountainside and he prayed. Before he picked his disciples, he prayed over and over again. You see him getting away to pray. And so we tell people all the time that uh, prayer is um, not only how you can find out who God wants you to bless, but it's also how you can go about actually blessing those people from the very beginning. Like like prayer counts. <laughs> it's it's a missional practice that I think, you know, it's it's not the least we can do. You know, prayer with action is the most we can do. And so We always challenge people, begin with prayer, you know, and ask God, who do you want me to bless? Um, I have a list in my journal of people that I'm saying, God, you know, help me know how to bless these people. And then I'm also throughout the course of my day when I'm on my game anyway, it's not always this way. When I'm really on it, I'm like, going, okay, there's also going to be like serendipitous opportunities for me to bless people throughout my day that I don't even know about right now. So don't let me miss those either. Mm -hmm. Begin with prayer, then listen. You know, Jesus was amazing at how he listened uh, he asked way more questions than he ever answered. Uh, if Christ followers, people who follow Jesus would just get better at listening. I think it could be an incredible gift to the world and a, a way to open up so many doors. So begin with prayer, listen, and then eat. The E is for eat, sharing meals. I mean, all right, somebody's, you know, I should know how to turn this stuff off, shouldn't I? <laughs> somebody calling you right now? <laughs> Sorry. Wow. 
And, <laughs> you know, in 2023, right. that would have been permissible in 2020, but in 2023, really not, no job. So <laughs> begin with prayer, listen, then eat. Um, you know, Jesus shared meals with people all the time. It's incredible the impact that he made through the meals that he shared with people all over the place. He was accused of being a friend of sinners because he was eating with tax collectors, right? People nobody else wanted to eat with. Uh, I think if we, somebody calls you a glutton, you're following Jesus. That's just the way it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but we've all had that experience, right? Where you don't, you didn't really know somebody and then you, you have a meal with them and all of a sudden like your best friends. It's just it's, yeah, we broke bread together. It, yeah. And, you know, so begin with prayer, listen, eat. And then the first S is for serve. And what we've discovered is if you will begin with prayer and, and truly listen, have conversations, meaningful conversations, share meals, then you will know how to best serve the person that you're wanting to bless. Um, and they will likely tell you. And it, it also ensures that the serving is about them and not about you just feeling good about serving. And then finally, the last S and bless is story. You know, once you've begun with prayer, listen, eat, serve. At some point, hopefully you get a chance to tell them, you know, the story of how the love of Jesus has transformed your life. So that's in a nutshell, bless. And, you know, it's easy to remember. It's something that's it's scriptural. It's what Jesus did. And we've just really seen it have a have a big impact on people when they begin to really make that. That's like it's a lifestyle. You know, it's not another just kind of, I don't know, bag of tricks or another tactic you can throw in the in the arsenal. I, I really think bless is a transformational lifestyle. So John, I, I love it. And we, we've, we walked through it. Actually, I have like a stack of books we give away blessed. Cause I, I just think it's phenomenal. One thing I would add to it and, you know, mm-hmm. for version, for version two of the book, just take this in, in mind, right? I'm right. Take, taking some notes. Here we go. Take go ahead. Um, for the first S that serve, I don't think it should be just to serve, but to be served. Like, I think that what you see in Jesus is that he puts himself in a position where he needs things from the people of peace around him. And that, and even he sends his disciples out and asks people to serve them before they give them the word. And I think that that directionality of humility, of shared care for one another actually creates the pathway to the gospel. No, so, I think that's great. I think that's great. And, and almost all five of those, you can make a case firm being reciprocal and putting yourself in a place of humility where they could be both ways, you know, yeah. asking somebody else to pray for you. Like that's, that's not a bad thing. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. um, you know, certainly when it comes to sharing your story and listening that that's a two way street too. So yeah, that's yeah. You're spot well, on. That's there's cool. nothing that, that actually creates intimacy other than sharing need. Sharing need is actually the basis for intimacy. Yeah. And yeah. Christians, a lot of time, we want to be the ones who are in positions of power and authority and like the strength. And rather, but with my neighbors, when I share with them, I'm struggling and ask them, hey, I, I don't know if you pray, but if you do, would you pray for me? Just because I've been having a hard time. All of a sudden, they're going to think about praying for you, even though they don't believe it because they want to help you. Isn't that a crazy? No, that's super cool. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, can I do a quick commercial? Yeah, yeah. Go for uh, you it. have a new resource. It's called the oh. Blessed Family Resource. This is really cool, man. And uh, it's a way to engage your kids as a family, uh, talking about what it looks like together to bless your friends and neighbors around um, where you live or play or work, whatever it might look like. So, man, if we start doing this as families, I think it'd be super awesome. And yeah. um, anybody's interested in that, they can. My, my wife wrote it, and it's uh, sunburstinfo at gmail.com. S O N B U R S T I N F O at gmail.com. She did a great job. I'm biased, of course, but I think it's a really cool way to get our kids talking about what it means for 
all of us to bless together. Okay. Well, we'll all have Alyssa put that in the show notes so that we've got those available. Um, And a couple things before we go, we're, you know, we're, we're bumping up on time. Do you got a couple minutes? Are you hard before the next phone call comes through? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, I want you to talk about your rhythms of eating and story. Like what, what has that looked like in your life and, and how, how do you kind of build that into your week? Yeah. Good question. Uh, Eating. I mean, you know, one of the simple things that we we do, which I think counts, is uh, we've made eating a meal as a part of our small group experience, mm-hmm. and so just the power of that dynamic alone, I think, makes a makes a big impact on what our small group experience is like. And so we try to keep it simple, don't make it too, you know, crazy, you know, elaborate. And we take turns; somebody's in charge of you know either ordering the food or bringing the food themselves. But I think that that weekly rhythm of us coming together to eat like that. Yeah, I I think that's a that's a big deal. Well, and then it's an easier invitation into your small group to say, "Come share a meal with us," rather than, "Hey, come sit around in a circle and talk about God with me." Yeah, and we're an, an evening group too, so it also eliminates that need. Oh, I got to run home, grab food, and then get there. No, you just show up at our place at six thirty, and it's super casual. We eat, and I think it just has a way. I mean, again, you go back to this whole idea of sharing meals. There's just something magical about that. God's spirit moves in weird ways in, in that. And I think it also affects the small group discussion that follows. It's just much richer. It's just a really cool communal time together. Uh, I mean, the other thing is, I don't have so much of a rhythm, but my wife and I, we really try not to like, we, if we get an opportunity and somebody invites us, like, it, it's almost always yes. Like, I mean, for us, to stay, we're just going to always lead with a yes in that regard. And um you know, it, it's pretty cool. We, the the congregation that we're a part of here in the city, which is Community Christian Church location, it's in Lincoln Park, lots of 20-somethings. And so like, was it two weekends ago? There's a couple, they're like probably 28, you know, we're well into our 50s. And my apprentice leader too, is well into his 50s also, uh, this couple invited us, uh, the, us over to their place for dinner. And it's like, oh my gosh, I like I would probably cancel anything to make that have a 28 year old. Right. Right. So, um, so we just really value those invitations and try to make, make sure that, you know, we say yes, whenever, whenever possible. All right. Now, as far as story, yeah, yeah, as far as story goes, I don't, I mean, you know, I don't, other than like having the blessed rhythms in my journal and something that I try to pay attention to every day, I'm just looking for opportunities to tell the, the story and try to keep it simple and just talk about the impact that, Jesus has made in my life. And I wish that was something that uh, occurred more often. I don't even know if I could say it. It doesn't happen weekly. It's it's still a fairly unusual opportunity to tell you the truth. Um, but I try to remind myself that, okay, you know what? Maybe my role in this is to bless, is to begin with prayer, listen and eat. And then that's going to tee it up for somebody else down the road to serve and tell the story. So, you know, we just don't know how, you know, God's arranging things and determining how people are going to get the story or to hear it or to experience it. So, you know, try to do my part. Maybe my part will be to share the story with somebody else that's already been, you know, had meals shared and have been served, but that's not something I ever did. So, yeah, I was, um, I was up camping on a prayer retreat last two week two weekends ago. And I was really, this, this sabbatical has been all about me just discerning what this next season of my life is all about. Like I'm mm-hmm. saying, God, what, where do you want me to focus? Got too many things going on. And so on this prayer tree, I'm like, God, give me a real clear sense of what's next in my life. And 
um, there's a guy who's a friend of mine. We've been coaching T-ball and soccer together for the last three years. Like we just do life together. We, you know, we, we choose each other's kids to like, you know, get on each other's kids teams. And um, he came to Easter because I invited him and his family and we've just been doing life together. I'm at this, I'm at this retreat and I go, there's some hot springs close by. I went to like two different hot springs that were full. This is Idaho. So it's full of hot springs. It's mountains and rivers full of hot springs in case you don't know. Um, yeah. And, and the second one was full and I'm like, there's a, there's like a resort with like a big hot tub pool over okay. this next hill. So I just <laughs> drove 10 more miles and I, I walk into the pool and there is my friend's wife sitting there and she goes, Robert, what's going on? And then right next to her is her husband. And we sat in this pool for 45 minutes and he goes, man, why do you do all this like church stuff? Like, mm-hmm. it seems like it's, you're really passionate about it. And we, you know, we got to sit down and have this hour long conversation about my spiritual story and like this real clear moment where God showed me his love through somebody else. And it was, it was funny because I, I couldn't have arranged that. Like this is an hour drive away from my house. And I just happened to go to the third hot spring and he, he happened to be there. But God was saying, look at how the story takes shape because you, I spent two years hanging out with my friend and getting to know him and sharing my life. And then it took this special moment in the mountains that God wanted to set aside. And so like the story is like, it's, it's God creating opportunity by us doing the work of showing up, I think is what you're saying. And I I love that you know, it was a two year process. I mean, it's so, we get so impatient and I do, but you know, stuff of the long haul. I mean, that's one reason why it's important to stick around someplace for a while. You know, I mean, yeah, a long time to build those relationships and give God a chance to to do some crazy good work. Yeah. What what I'm realizing we're seven years into church planting and living in our neighborhood and impact is spelled T I M E man. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's being here all of a sudden we're a known quantity where people love us, people are cared for by us, and all of a sudden they're going, we would trust you with our spiritual life because we've seen the the texture of your life. It sounds like something we want. That's super cool. Yeah. Well, man, this has been great. I we were gonna do we're gonna do another session because I had so much fun today, John. Maybe Let's maybe do it. Yeah. Chicago we can sit down together. That'd be super I would love it, yeah. All right. So johnferguson.org is your author website, right? Yep. And they can find more information there. They can follow you at John Ferguson, no H and John one on Instagram or threads. Any, any other way people can connect with you? Uh, still on the Twitter or the X or whatever it is. Now. Yes. Like is, <laughs> are we done with Twitter? Is that just, are we done? Oh man. Like he's brilliant. So this seems like a bad idea though. No, I, I've just never been a Twitter person. So I'm, I'm like, oh, really? well, see, yeah, I was on Twitter, like when it first started and it was, it was so small. It, we just, it operated so differently, you know, it's oh, like, yeah. yeah, but yeah, I don't know. Twitter. Uh, so <laughs> you can find John, is it at John Ferguson one on Twitter as well? Yeah. All right. There you go. You got, you guys info. We will have John back and thank you for being a part of this, this, uh, episode, man. Oh, my pleasure, Bobby. I appreciate so much, uh, you know, what you're doing for church planters and the example you set and your authenticity. It, it just means a lot to have the chance to chat. Thank you. Yeah. Remember, church planner, that if you want to reach the people no one else is reaching, you got to know or go where no one else is going and do what no one else is doing. See you next week. Thanks for listening to today's episode. This episode was brought to you by Church Web Builder. 
If you've been meaning to scrap your terrible WordPress church website, or you just need to actually sit down and make your church plants website, let this be assigned to you. With Church Web Builder's library of church-specific templates and integrations, and the included all-in-one marketing and communication platform, a beautiful new website is literally sitting there waiting for you to take it. Go to churchwebbuilder.io and use the code PLANTER at checkout. You'll get 50% off your first year. Yes, five zero. 50% off your entire first year. Again, go to churchwebbuilder.io and use the code PLANTER. For more from the Church Planter Podcast, hit us up on Instagram and Facebook at Church Planter Podcast and on Twitter at CPlanterMag. We'd love to connect. See you next time.